Well, hello and uh, welcome to the CSF May monthly podcast. This month there are three papers that we've uploaded to the CSF website, but today I'm going to review two of those. Um, please find the detailed slide set of these papers in the CSF website. It's a great resource. You can go on, download the slides, use them for education or as you please. They really are a, a, a beautiful disposition on the, the data that I'm going to be talking about. Now, this first paper I want to highlight evaluates the immunogenicity of the pneumococcal conjugate vaccine and tetanus toxoid vaccine in people with rheumatoid arthritis who've received baricitinib. Um, and the, one of the authors here, in fact, is a CSF steering committee member, Kevin Winthrop from the Oregon Health Sciences University in Portland in the US. So what's the key background here? Well, well, um, RA management guidelines and recommendations in all parts of the world pretty much suggest vaccinating people with rheumatoid against pneumococcal disease with 13 serotype pneumococcal conjugate vaccine uh, and, and or 23 serotype pneumococcal polysaccharide vaccine. That uh, has some implications for us when we're using immune suppressive therapies. So the, uh, the inhibition of the JAK media trans signal transduction pathways could potentially diminish the responses to those vaccines. Now, there's been some previous work done with tofacitinib treated patients, which showed reassuringly that uh, there was usually a response, but this uh, current study uses the newer PCV13 vaccine. Now, the, the mechanism of action of baricitinib, it's a, a JAK1 JAK2 inhibitor uh, prompted a study to evaluate the immunogenicity of the vaccines PCV13 and tetanus toxoid vaccine in people with rheumatoid receiving baricitinib. Uh, patients receiving either baricitinib with or without concomitant methotrexate were enrolled into enrolled, I should say, into a phase three long-term extension trial. Uh, patients came mainly from the USA and Puerto Rico. Now the primary endpoints were proportion of patients achieving a satisfactory humoral response. Uh, for PCV13, that's more than or equal to twofold increase in anti-pneumococcal antibody concentrations in more than or equal to six serotypes. It's a, it's a slightly complex situation. Remember, there are different stimuli within the vaccine and you're looking for broad coverage. Uh, for the tetanus toxoid vaccine, it was more than or equal to fourfold increase in anti-tetanus concentrations at week five. Uh, there were some secondary endpoints, the geometric mean fold rise from baseline in pneumococcal serotype and tetanus antibodies at week five. All patients received open label single dose 0.5 ml intramuscular injections of PCV13 and TTV and they were in opposite arms. Uh, Anti-pneumococcal IgG, anti-tetanus IgG antibody concentrations were measured from blood samples collected at the same time as the regularly scheduled laboratory evaluations from the long-term extension studies. So it's an efficient trial design. Uh, antibody concentrations were measured using the O2 Solutions Network at focused laboratories using validated methodologies that have previously been reported. Okay, so what are the key outputs? Well, the primary endpoints were reached by 68% of patients for PCV13 and 43% of patients for the tetanus toxoid by week five. Now for tetanus toxoid, 73% of patients achieved a more than or equal to twofold concentration increase in anti-tetanus at week five, compared to uh, only the 43%, as I say, who were achieving that uh, pre-specified fourfold increase in concentration. Uh, the satisfactory patient response uh, uh, was similar for PCV13, regardless of the baricitinib dose, concomitant corticosteroids, and indeed uh, SI responses. 
Concomitant steroid use did not diminish PCV13 responses either, which is interesting. Now, the geometric mean concentrations for IgG were significantly higher compared to baseline for all serotypes at week 5 and week 12. And the anti-tetanus IgG antibody concentrations were also significantly higher at both week 5 and 12. So what do we make of all of this? Well, it, it, it looks as if uh, administration of the pneumococcal and tetanus vaccine during long-term varicentib treatment is, is well tolerated. Uh, the humoral responses to the PCV13 vaccine with both varicentib doses, that's two or four, were satisfactory in RA patients and do not look as if they're otherwise influenced by concomitant corticosteroid use, whereas it does seem as if there's a less response to, uh, robust response to tetanus toxoid. Uh, the sustained functional responses of the pneumococcal antibodies were demonstrated at week 5 and week 12, although obviously in the clinical world we're looking for longer protection than that. Um, current guidelines recommend administration of 23 serotype pneumococcal polysaccharide uh, vaccine following PCV13 vaccination for optimal vaccine responses. So, what about the second paper? Well, it examines the nine and a half year tofacitinib safety and efficacy results. Uh, primary author here, Jürgen Wollenhaupt from uh, Rheumatology Hamburg in Germany. And the background here, well, it's uh, I'm sure very well known to you that the efficacy and safety of tofacitinib administered alone or in combination with conventional synthetic DMARDs has been demonstrated in uh, several randomized controlled trials of up to 24 months duration. Uh, rheumatoid is a chronic disease, so of course it's important for us to know what happens in the long term. We need to understand both uh, the long-term sustained efficacy, but also particularly the safety of these medicines. So this is a study that reports the long-term extension of oral sequel and describes the safety and efficacy of tofacitinib 5 milligrams and 10 milligrams BID for up to 9.5 years in RA patients. And now eligible patients had previously completed a prior qualifying index study of tofacitinib. Phase 2 enrolled patients qualifying index studies initiated open-label tofacitinib 5 mg BID and the Phase 3 patients qualifying index studies initiated open-label tofacitinib at 10 mg BID. Uh, with investigator discretion after long-term extension study, uh, adjustments to tofacitinib dose or background therapy, for example, conventional synthetic DMARDs or, or corticosteroids was permitted. And, and the primary objective was to determine the long-term safety and tolerability of tofacitinib, as I say, at 5 and 10 milligrams BID. Uh, the significance of the latter will come to just a moment. Uh, there were some secondary objectives to evaluate long-term persistence of efficacy for both doses. Uh, patients were assigned to stay in monotherapy or background conventional synthetic DMARD subgroups for analysis of safety outcomes if they remained in their initial therapy for the entire duration of the study. And as is common in these kinds of reports, exposure adjusted adverse event rates per 100 patient years were calculated for adverse events. Um, IRs per 100 patient years and 95% confidence intervals were calculated. And if you're interested, it was done via the exact Poisson method. Uh, and those were calculated for adverse events of special interest. Now, the efficacy analysis were conducted for all patients who received at least one dose of study medication and had at least one post-index long-term extension baseline efficacy measurement available. So what did we find in the trial? Well, infections and infestations were the most common uh, in incidence rate for all cause adverse events leading to discontinuation. That was for 6.78%. And the incidence rate for serious adverse events, 9% for all recipients of tofacitinib.
The instance rates for herpes zoster were higher with tofacinib 10 milligrams than 5 milligrams. That was 3.7% against 2.3% respectively. And thinking about all serious infections, herpes zoster and opportunistic infections, excluding tuberculosis, uh, the incidence rates for patients receiving TOFA 10 milligrams as combination therapy were higher as compared with those receiving 5 milligrams BID. Uh, serious infections, malignancies, excluding non-melanoma skin cancer and herpes zoster over time have showed, were, were shown to be generally stable. There was no change when we looked year on year. And thinking just about efficacy, well, the ACR20 response rate was maintained between month one and 96 and generally similar between tofacinib 5 and 10 milligrams. One always has to be a little careful about the effect of people who stay in trials. Uh, what about function? Well, HAC disability index improved, DAS28 ESR decreased at month one. And again, that remained stable over time. The DAS-28 ESR defined remission was observed in 24% of patients across all TOFA doses at month 96, 25% uh, of patients receiving 5 milligrams of tofacitinib at month 96. Uh, again, you've got to be really careful about interpretation of efficacy and long-term extension studies. The, the, there are curious reasons that people stay in trials and the way in which the analysis is performed is really important. So uh, conclusions from this study, while well, tofacitinib at both five and 10 milligram doses demonstrate a consistent safety profile and sustained efficacy in the oral sequel study. Uh, observed incidence rates for SAE, serious infections, malignancy, MACE, DVT and PE were similar to those observed in pooled data from phase one, two, three and long-term extension studies. Uh, safety profile of tofacitinib who initiated tofa as monotherapy was similar to that in patients receiving combination with conventional synthetic DMARDs. And at least in as far as one can make the interpretation from this kind of study design, it looks as if those who carry on on the drug have sustained improvements. Now I have to say we've really got to be cautious here. We've now received uh, a notification from the EMEA and from FDA about the use of 10 milligrams of tofacitinib. There is a risk, uh, it would appear, of uh, thrombosis, DVT, pulmonary thromboembolism, and that's a, a whole area that needs to be thought about very carefully at the moment. So I think uh, whilst this paper needs to be read on its own merits, we should be considering that uh, tofacitinib at the moment is used at the dose of 5 milligrams BID. It's got to be cautious there. Um, so there is a third paper that we've uploaded to the website this month. It's from Katie Beckman and colleagues from King's College, and it looks at the risk of infections with small molecule jack inhibitors. Now, don't forget that all of this content that I've discussed uh, is available in far more detailed slide format in the publications section at cytokinesignaling.com. As I say, these slides really are great. I commend them to you with my enthusiasm. Now also, I need to advise you to head to the CSF website and enter the CSF poster competition this month. There's a, an exciting chance to win a, a $1,000 travel bursary for you or a colleague to your next medical scientific congress of your choice. Now, the, the competition ends on the 28th of May at 23.59 BST. That's British summer time, advertising the fact that we do indeed have a summer in the United Kingdom. So you may not believe us, come and visit us, you'll enjoy it. Now, uh, in all of this, I suggest that the most important visit for you is to the CSF website dashboard. I'll give you more details about that competition. But taking everything together, uh, I do hope you've uh, found this useful. Thanks ever so much for listening, and I look forward to talking to you in our next podcast.